Okay, I have a prop that I need to get. This is kickoff Sunday. And uh, how many football fans do we have here? Yes, a few. Um, okay, I've been practicing this all week. Okay, here we go. We just laces out, right? We were, I think, for the kickoff. All right, here we go. NFL, I know, Mark, I know. It's not quite official. We, uh, but we're gonna try this. I'm gonna try to. I've been practicing this all week. If this works, no one should get hurt, and this will go straight out that back door. Okay. No, come on! I wouldn't actually do that. I that would kill someone. That would. Okay, so kickoff Sunday. Um, do you know how hard it is to, to actually do what they do in the CFL and the NFL, like to, to kick a football off properly? It, it's, it's crazy hard. I remember when the boys first, we, we got them their first official, they, Theo's got a CFL ball, which is a little bit bigger. And, and then the NFL ball, we, with Jonathan, that's Jonathan, he's a big Buffalo Bills fan. And they were so excited to take these up to the park by our house. And, and do what they see the, the professionals do on TV, to, to, kick, to kick that ball as far as they can. And it was so discouraging <laughs> because they got up there, oh, they've never, they've never kicked a real football. And I remember that. I remember Theodore, like, and he was just, he was prepared. He's like, Dad, go back. Go back. And because and, I'm going to try to catch it. I'm like, no, buddy, I better stay here. I'm maybe like 10 meters out. He's like, no, no, Dad, go back go back to the trees, and they're like way out there in the forest. I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> and you know what happened? He got up, and he kind of gave it one of these things, right? And uh, it's hard to kick a football the way that you're supposed to. Um, enough about football. I'll leave it there for the time being. Remind me to pick that up. Um, we're kicking off our ministry year here today. And before we do that, as I just mentioned, um, it's, it's great to have a, a wonderful game plan, <laughs> but for us in the church, if it's not God's game plan, if, if we're not doing this in his power, it's, it's going to be a dud. It's not going to work. Um, we are beginning this fall. I'm, I'm really excited because we're starting a series in the book of Acts, um, Acts. Now, some of you are like, hold on a second. We were, we were in Psalm 119. True. We're going to come back. Don't worry. We're going to come back to Psalm 119. I do plan to continue to work through Psalm 119. Might take a while, but we're, we're going to come back to it. Not yet, though. We're starting this series in the book of Acts because this, my friends, this is our history. This, the book of Acts tells our story. As, as followers of Jesus Christ, as his church, it's, it's our family history, it's our spiritual history, and we need to understand it. Uh, it is the first and, and most foundational work of church history ever recorded, as you know. And it tells this incredible story of, of how the church was established and then exploded, expanded. I appreciate the way commentator Michael Green puts it. Here's, here's the way he, he puts it. He says, 
In just three decades, from AD 33 to AD 64, a new movement was born that would spread into every corner of the globe and has had an indelible impact on civilization, on culture, on education, on medicine, on freedom, and of course, on the lives of hundreds of millions of people. And it all began with a dozen men, a handful of women, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, first century church, they did not have much. They had no money, no property, no treasure, no civic or political influence, but that didn't matter because they had the Holy Spirit of God. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles today to the book of Acts. Acts. Um, <clears throat> and as you're turning there, uh, it's important to know that you're turning to a story already in progress. The book of Acts uh, does not begin in Acts. Uh, as we see right off the bat, and I'm going to put up the first couple verses, reading from the NIV 84 version. And here's what we read, beginning at Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Because in order to understand the context of the book of Acts, we need to answer a couple of questions that, that these verses raise. First off, what is this former book? In my former book, well, it's the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. Luke is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Now, who was Luke? Okay, well, Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. In fact, likely a very close companion of Paul, who had a very broad ministry. He did a lot of different things. Uh, he was a pastor, he was a traveling evangelist, he was a historian, he was a writer, and by profession, he was a doctor, Dr. Luke. In fact, three times in his letters, Paul refers to Luke as the beloved physician and indicates that when Paul was in prison for the second time, it was Luke that stayed with him right to the end when everyone else had left him. So... This is Luke, and this is the author of Acts, Acts which begins in the Gospel of Luke. By the way, the Gospel of Luke is the most complete account of the life and ministry of Jesus from his birthright to his ascension that we have. So Acts is really a sequel to that. You can think of it that way. In fact, Luke and Acts were originally two volumes of, of one book. Um, and the title Acts was later given to Acts in the second century. They, they gave it that title, Acts of the Apostles, though more accurately, as we're going to see, it's, it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. So, <clears throat> Luke's presentation in both his Gospel and Acts is, is truly universal in scope. See, he writes with a deep appreciation of God's revelation through the Hebrew people, for sure, but he has incredible sympathy 
for those not included in God's covenant people, for Gentiles, those outside of the covenant of the first covenant of the law. And he stresses again and again that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news is for everybody, for everybody, from all people from all nations, not just for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And so it's no coincidence then that Luke addresses both of his volumes, both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, to this person named Theophilus. It's a Greek name, likely a a Greek convert to Christianity. Now, we don't know much about him other than two references that Luke makes to him. One here uh, and one, one in Luke chapter 1 as well. Luke chapter 1, verse 4, where Luke addresses him like this. He calls him, O most excellent Theophilus. That's how he addresses Theophilus in in the gospel of Luke. Now, some have suggested based on this title that, that Theophilus might have had a high social standing. He might have been a Roman dignitary who was at least interested in Christianity. Perhaps he was a new convert or maybe just a seeker. But what's interesting is that Luke's purpose in writing both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is stated right here. He writes so that Theophilus may know the certainty of the things he has been taught. Okay? Christianity is, is, a, new, is a new thing at this point. Okay? And so he is writing so that this Theophilus... Perhaps this seeker or this new Christian would be certain, would be assured of the faith that he has in its origins, the faith in Jesus Christ that he's come to. Now, what's interesting, the name Theophilus actually means lover of God. So some have suggested that, that perhaps beyond just one guy named Theophilus, that, that Luke is writing to all lovers of God to assure all of them, all of God's people, of the certainty of the things they've been taught. Um, we don't know for certain, but we know what is written here. And, and so I, uh, I was just thinking about this because <clears throat> Luke is, is very unique. <clears throat> Luke, why does he have this, this empathy, this, this deep passion for the Gentiles? Well, perhaps because he was one. He is the only non-Jewish author of Scripture. He came to Christ. Um, some suggest he, he might have come to Christ in Antioch, where he, he was from, uh, where Paul and Barnabas uh, were serving at the beginning of their ministry. We don't know for certain, but we know that Luke, this, this Gentile author, has actually contributed the, the largest portion of, of Scripture in the New Testament, or, or one of them, along with the Apostle Paul. 27.5% of the New Testament is accounted for in the Gospel of Luke and Acts, which is amazing when you think about it, that a Gentile author is responsible for, by the power of the Holy Spirit, for that amount of our New Testament. Truly amazing. It only underscores the fact that the good news of Jesus and his offer of forgiveness is for every Every people group, every nation, everybody. So, here's the next question I want to ask. We've talked about the former book, Luke. We've talked about Theophilus. What about these instructions? It says, Jesus began to to teach until the day he was taken up after giving instructions 
through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. In order to see what he's talking about, we have to go back to Luke chapter 24, which is where I'd invite you to turn with me now. Luke chapter 24. What are these instructions he's talking about? He's talking about the Great Commission. And specifically, the Great Commission that we read in Luke 24. Now, as you're turning there, we're very familiar with the Great Commission, aren't we? Or at least one version of it. Mm. You are probably most familiar with this version. This is Matthew's version. And this is what our church mission statement is primarily based on. Therefore, go and make disciples, says Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Okay, I've preached on that one a lot, right? We, We know that. Go and make disciples. Jesus commissions his disciples with these words. Well, that's become synonymous with the Great Commission, but what we often forget is this is just one of four versions of the Great Commission. There's this one, Matthew's version here. There's also Mark's version in Mark 16, verses 15 to 18. And then Luke has two versions of the Great Commission that he contributes. One in the gospel that we're referring directly to here, and of course in Acts 1-8, which we will look at in just uh, a little while. Though each version of the Great Commission has a unique focus and content, which we we have to understand in order to fulfill it, the version in Luke 24 is, is quite possibly the most overlooked of all four versions. And yet, arguably, it is the most essential to the mission of the church. Following his resurrection from the dead, Jesus appears to his disciples. And here's what we read beginning at verse 36 of Luke 24. Okay, this is where he's pointing. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among the disciples and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Um, Notice that Jesus doesn't tell the disciples what they are going to do here. Do you notice that? Instead, he tells them what will be done. 
This is really important here. Um, here's what we see. He said, if I have this, oh, perhaps it's, I'm, I may not be able to go forward. Well, we can just see this in verse 47 and, and 48. Um, here's what's going to happen. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the whole world. That is what Jesus is promising. At this point, he doesn't actually tell the disciples their part in that. He just says, this is what is going to happen. And then in verse 48, he says, you, disciples, you are witnesses of these things. Okay, a witness. What is a witness? It's someone who testifies to what they've seen and heard, who provides a reliable testimony. So the implication is obviously that that witnessing is what the disciples are going to do. They're going to be Jesus' witnesses to the whole world, to all nations. But notice that Jesus deliberately does not send them off to do that. Not yet. See, unlike Matthew's commission, Jesus doesn't tell the disciples to go and make disciples here. Why? Because they can't. They can't do that. At this point, they were powerless to do that. And Jesus knows it. And so he gives them just one instruction. And by the way, it's the only imperative in this passage, the only command. Verse 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit, but what? Stay. Also translated, wait. Stay and wait in the city. Thank you. Until you've been clothed with power from on high. Stay and wait. The emphasis in Matthew's commission is go and make disciples. In Luke, it's stay and wait. You can't go and make them yet. See, they could have rushed off. They, they could have gone on their own and tried to testify, tried to preach the good news to all the nations starting in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. But it wouldn't have worked because they were not yet filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, the, the Greek word translated power is dunamis. We've heard that word before. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Wait until you're clothed with dynamite power from on high. Um, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is like. Explosive dynamite power. But God hadn't sent the Holy Spirit yet, and so the disciples' witness would fail unless they were filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, which Luke reiterates in his second version of the Great Commission in Acts 1.8. And we know these, this verse quite well. You will receive power said Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There it is. See, I I just want to pause here for for a second because I think this is really significant for us. Uh, If the disciples fail to obey Jesus' instruction to stay and wait in Luke 24... If, if they failed to be clothed with power from on high and be filled with the Holy Spirit, there would be no kickoff Sunday. There would be no ministries to kick off. There, there would be no book of Acts because there's, there would be no activity worth reporting. And as his church today, 
The same is true for us. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Spurgeon, a great uh, preacher, said, we are as ships without the wind, without the Spirit. We are as branches without sap, like coals without fire. We are useless without the Holy Spirit. My friends, without His power, none of our plans, none of our ministries, none of our initiatives and efforts will amount to absolutely anything. We will fail in our mission and our part in carrying out the Great Commission. Because God has not called us to do something that we can do on our own. Think about that. God calls you to do something that you cannot do on your own. We need to be reminded of that sometimes, don't we? It's not up to me. We can't do this on our own. He's called us to do something that's only possible through him when we're filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit and clothed with power from on high. Holy Spirit does a lot of things. But God's purpose in clothing the disciples with his power here was specifically to empower their witness so that they could testify powerfully, that they could proclaim the gospel, to preach the truth with boldness, conviction, and wisdom so that people from all nations all over the world that Luke was so concerned for, that they would hear the good news and believe in Jesus Christ. My friends, uh, here's the thing. We can show the world all the love and kindness we want. But if we don't proclaim, testify to the reason for it, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel, they can't be saved. Um, here's what we read, Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes through what? hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You are here. If you, if you are a Christian, it's because of that. God has given you that gift of faith because you heard the good news. You heard the gospel and you believed. We have to proclaim it, my friends. Proclamation of the good news is central to the mission of the church, period. And it's central to the mission of every single part of the church, which is every Christian, I'm sorry to tell you that. That's what we're all required to do. It's scary, I know. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we have to. That is our calling. But we can't do it on our own. Um, so here's the real question for us today. Is it possible to be clothed with power from on high, like we read there? Is, is it possible in verse 40, to have that power that we read about in verse 49 for us? Is there a way to tap into that? And if so, how? How can we be ready to receive that power to proclaim, that power to testify, that power to witness? Well, I believe it is possible, more than possible, and I, I think it starts by knowing and believing the word of God. Uh, you won't know God's spirit apart from God's word, and you can't know God's word apart from God's spirit. Notice that after Jesus appeared to the disciples and showed them his hands and feet, okay, trying to say, hey, guys, look, I'm alive. I'm alive. There's the holes, but I am alive. They still didn't believe him. Now, it's probably a good unbelief at this point if there is such a thing, because it says because of joy and amazement, they didn't believe him, but they, they didn't believe him. And so what does Jesus do? 
He tells them everything that he had told them. He explains to them everything that is written in the scriptures concerning himself that must be fulfilled. Okay? So seeing him, him eating in front of them wasn't enough for them to believe that he was alive. So what does Jesus do? Jesus, the living word, turns to the written word. That's how he gets them to believe. What does it say? Verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. My friends, God's written word is alive and active. Jesus knew that. They needed to have their minds open to see through scripture who he was and the fact that he was alive, just as scripture foretold. That would have been the greatest Bible lesson ever. We don't have the full content of it there, but there it is. Jesus showed them everything in Scripture concerning himself, who he was. Here I am. He's alive. Wow. Here's what Jesus said in John 6:63. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. This is the connection between God's word and the spirit. You, you can't have one without the other. You can't claim to be filled with the Spirit of God if you're not filled with the Word of God. The words Jesus recorded in Scripture are the God-breathed voice and life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, if we don't read and hear His words, we will not receive His power. So in order to be filled with God's Spirit, we must be filled with God's Word. And not just, by the way, not just reading it, Absolutely, we have to. Not just meditating on it. Yes, we have to do that too. Not just memorizing it. We should absolutely do that. Those are good, but they won't amount to anything if we don't do something first, if we don't believe it. If we don't actually believe what God's word is saying to us. Galatians 3.5, the apostle Paul writes, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or say this with me, or because you believe what you heard. What did we hear? We heard the word of God. That is the answer. He gives his spirit because you believe what you have heard. Do you see the connection here? We have to believe God's word. It should go without saying, but it needs to be said. We must believe what he's told us. Believe what his word says. Believe that his promises are true and for us. Believe that God is waiting to do amazing things in and through us for his glory. In fact, he is able to do what? Immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power. The power of the Holy Spirit, that dynamite, explosive power that's at work within us. Amen. Amen. If we don't believe it, we won't receive it. Jesus said that. Matthew 7, 7. Look it up. Brings us to the other way that we can be filled with the the Holy Spirit's power, I believe. Uh, We should pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit's power. And we see this again in this passage here in Luke 24. Verse 49, Jesus instructed his disciples to what? Stay and wait in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And do you know how they did that? How did they carry that out, that staying and waiting? What did the disciples do? I'll show you what they did. Acts 1.14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. Fervent prayer. Continual prayer. Pleading prayer. Together. 
seeking, waiting on the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait on the Lord in prayer. Psalm 27 says, wait on the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. Keep waiting on the Lord, keep seeking him, keep praying to them. And that's what the disciples did. They waited in prayer on the Lord. And then after 10 days, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. In the words of the old-time evangelist Billy Sunday, he that is a stranger to prayer is a stranger to power. Luke 11, Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer, and here's what he says in verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? My friends, we do not have because we do not ask. Let us ask him in faith, in prayer. Ask God for for more of the Holy Spirit's influence and power in our lives. Now, this isn't about us having more of the Holy Spirit per se. It's really about the Holy Spirit having more of us, submitting and surrendering our entire lives, ourselves to him, so that he can fill us more and stir in us more and use us more. So let's ask our Heavenly Father for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, His power to be at work in a new way here this season. Because, my friends, God promised that He will answer that prayer. Jesus promised it right there. But I think that that needs a warning attached to it. Because we dare not ask Him for more of His Spirit if we're not willing to be filled and used by his spirit. Um, the final point I just want to make on this is, is simple. Uh, yes, we must pray for the Holy Spirit's power, but we must obey the Holy Spirit's leading when God gives it to us, when he leads us. Um, the quickest way to quench the spirit <clears throat> is to ignore him. Ignore his prompting. Uh, I want to quote pastor and author John Piper's personal diary here because he he writes uh, and asks himself this soul-searching question. Just bear with me. Here's what he says. Why do I not have more power in soul-winning witnessing? Have I forgotten or gotten into the habit of ignoring the Holy Spirit? Has the voice of the Spirit in the past prompted me to write a letter or make a phone call or pay a visit or say a word with the readiness to give me all the power I would need only to find my heart resistant and unbelieving so that now it is being withheld from me? I believe this is where many of us are at. We've resisted the Holy Spirit so often when he was calling us to bear witness to Christ that we may be unfit for the flow of his power. The channels have become so clogged with fear and self-consciousness and doubt and rationalization that what we allow through is barely a discernible trickle of God's love. End quote. I don't know about you, my friends, but if, if that's the case, it's, it's time to repent. Confess our fear and our failure confess our our doubts, 
our worldly preoccupations that we've allowed to get in the way of, of obeying the Holy Spirit, of being used to witness for Christ. Father, forgive us for remaining silent when we should have spoken, for failing to act and obey when the Spirit prompted us to, or for speaking and acting on our own when we shouldn't have. Forgive us for running ahead of the Holy Spirit and trying to do things in our own strength as we so often do, right? Um, commenting on this, this verse, Charles Spurgeon said, the apostles and, and other disciples were supposed to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. They might have had to wait for some days, but it is better to wait for divine equipment than to go out to holy service in our own strength because all that you do will have to be undone unless it is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. You know, my friends, um, so often we, we make our plans. Plans, uh, family plans, business plans, personal plans. We, we make ministry plans. And then we, we ask God to bless them. And then we charge ahead with the plan and expect that, that God will do that, that he'll bless it. <laughs> he may not. Before we can go and make disciples, we must stay and wait on the Lord and seek him in his word and be filled with his power. As we kick off this ministry year, it is vital we do not forget this because human-sized efforts produce human-sized results. And that's not what God has called us to do. As followers of Jesus, he has called us to do something we cannot do on our own. He's called us to do this. He's called us to make disciples who become mature and productive Christians for the glory of God. We will never do that without him. Without him filling us. Without him leading us. Without him guiding our, our thoughts and our words and empowering them, our testimony won't mean anything if it's not filled with his power. On our own, it won't happen, but with him, it will. It will. When we turn to him, when we submit to God's word and believe it and wait on him in prayer, we will be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And as we read in Hebrews 13, he will equip us with everything good, my friends, for doing his will, and he will work in us. He, he will work in us, not us, not you. He will work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to close with this prayer. It's a Puritan prayer taken from the Valley of Vision. I've adapted it a little bit, but um, please bow your heads as we commit ourselves, as we commit this ministry year to God and ask for the Holy Spirit's power to be poured out here in a mighty way this year. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, as the sun is full of light, the ocean full of water, heaven full of glory, May our hearts be full of you. Vain are all divine purposes of love and the redemption wrought by Jesus except that you work within us, regenerating by your power, giving us eyes to see Jesus 
and showing us the realities of the unseen world. Forgive us for failing to follow your leading. Forgive us for resisting you and grieving you. Forgive us for our coldness, our emptiness, our imperfect vision, our weak faith, our slow service, our prayerless prayers, and our praiseless praises. Fill us afresh, without measure, as a flowing fountain, as inexhaustible riches. Come as power to cast out every rebel lust and to reign supreme in us. Come as teacher, leading us into all truth, filling us with all understanding. Come as love, that we would adore the Father and love him with all of our hearts. Come as joy, dwell in us, mold us and move us. Come as light, illuminating the scriptures and conforming us in its laws. Come as sanctifier of our bodies, souls, and spirits. Come as our helper, with strength to bless and keep us, directing our every step and empowering our witness for Jesus Christ. Come as beautifier, bring order out of confusion, loveliness out of chaos, and magnify to your glory by being magnified through us, Lord, in everything we think, say, and do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, as we respond, if you're able, uh, please stand with us as we sing.
Before I pronounce the benediction, uh, I'm going to pray for our time of fellowship and food in the gym. Uh, Commit that meal to the Lord. And uh, can we just join together in prayer and then I'll pronounce the benediction. Our awesome Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation that is found in Him and faith in Jesus' name alone. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. And Father, today, thank you for your word to us. I pray, Father, that we'd be obedient to do what it says, to be quick to submit, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading. I pray, Father God, now for the food that's been prepared, I pray that you bless it to our bodies, that we'd be thankful for it. And Lord, that the energy we get from that, we would use to bring glory to you through conversation around the tables. Father, through, through rejoicing and fellowship for all the good things that you have given to us, Father, may, may it be a time of rejoicing and giving thanks to you for all that you've given to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And now, to him who is able to keep you from falling, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine To him who is able to do that according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you.